So as you can see behind me here, I'm editing this conversation that you're about to watch with my friend Ben Howes. I met Ben through a mutual friend. He was a graphic design artist that was working on some logos and things. Um, and we just connected. We just started to see that we're both on a similar spiritual path. And we have been wanting to connect for a while. And I'm so grateful that we finally had the opportunity to sit down and have a proper conversation. Uh, I will say that we talked offline for an hour before this conversation began. So it kind of starts just like jumping right into it because we had already been talking for an hour. But uh, it's really awesome to hear Ben's story. He grew up extremely uh, Christian with a conservative Christian background and upbringing. And uh, he went through a deconstruction of his faith and coming back around to spirituality through psychedelics. And uh, where now he practices the tradition of Vedanta. So there's a whole lot with his story. I'll let him tell it. He tells it better than me. But just to give you a little intro here, the beginning is a lot more of his personal story, his journey of deconstruction. Uh, we talked then about some psychedelics and how that opens us up, has the potential to open us up. It doesn't always, but for Ben, it certainly did. And then we talk about more of the non-dual reality uh, that is found in all the world traditions, that every teacher is teaching us to see the union between us and God and the delusion of separation becoming dissolved. So I hope you'll enjoy this episode with Ben. It was certainly awesome to be able to talk with him and um, would love to dig deeper into some of these topics with him. But uh, without further ado, here's my friend Ben Howes. Speaking of stories, yeah. you were sharing with me a little bit about yours and uh, you growing up sort of in the church in Ohio and then going through your own deconstruction journey and, uh, you know, anti-Christian and then back to some degree of faith. And, and you've made a couple comments throughout the hour that we've been talking about, you know, uh, not being mad at Jesus and stuff. So that's a whole lot of like things. I don't know where would be the best to pick up from all of that. Yeah. Um, but where do you think would be a good origin spot to share some of your experience? So I think from the time I've been a kid, I've been very, very spiritually interested. I was homeschooled growing up. I grew deep, deep within the Christian bubble. Um, and I was kind of just sheltered from the world. Um, and, you know, at the time I hated it, but really looking back, it's kind of a blessing because you see the madness of the world. And you're like, I kind of had that peace from. I spent a lot of time outside as a result. I wasn't really allowed to play video games. And I grew up in the early 90s, so everyone's talking about Nintendo and, and Sega. And I was just, uh, I was reading books and um, I was allowed to watch a like half an hour TV a day. And it was like, either a little house in the prairie with my family or Mr. Rogers neighborhood. <laughs> and, really? Uh, Dude, that's the rest of the time. I was, for real, man. Yeah. And, um, I mean, we grew up, we lived pretty simply. Um, uh, so I, I, and we didn't really have like a lot of interaction with other people. So I spent a lot of time in nature. Uh, we had 60 acres, um, where we lived in the, in the woods. It was beautiful. And I really felt that I would just sense the presence of God in nature, the, the unified whole. I felt like I could just sense the energy of God in, in, in everything. Um, and I just, I would sing, I'd make up songs to God. Uh, and it wasn't, it wasn't theologically sound or theologically anything. It was just an expression of my being um, mm. at that point. 
And so then I go to church where I heard that God lived, and church is the only place uh, that I was really ever bullied. And I was bullied because I, I sang the same songs in church that I sang out, you know, at home. And I thought that, well, hey, this is what happened to church. You sing songs about God. But I was, you know, you don't do that in church because you got to listen to somebody else sing songs about God that have been uh, signed off on and approved by some committee that uh, conforms to the Nicene Creed, et cetera, or whatever, you know. CCLI uh, gets to so, dip into you also, right? <laughs> exactly. So I, I think it's like for my whole life, it's been this interesting tension between the grid, the institutionalized grid of the church megastructure and the, the genuine spirit of God in the organic and in, 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 in the real. And my whole life, I've always rebelled against the grid, but I was always told that by doing so, I was, you know, um, uh, backsliding or whatever. You know the narratives. Um, you've been yeah. in the church world. And so I think, it, it, I, but I really wanted to unpack this journey with God. I always knew there was something more. I was always attracted to, like, the 60s. My dad... Uh, March in the first Earth Day parade before he got really into you know Christianity and stuff and and like we had to listen to terrible like Michael W. Smith and like instrumental dulcimer albums of hymns most of the time. But my dad had a wood, a, a wood shop and we'd go downstairs and he'd play like the Beatles and the Stones and the Guess Who and like he played cool music and like that was my entree into music, which is a huge love of mine. I played in bands for a long time when I had hair. And, um, and also art in general. I was just really mystified by like the psychedelic art and music for some reason. And I mm -hmm. think I know why it was breadcrumbs for my later journey. So, but I was also terrified to touch that stuff because I genuinely, I was, you know, I really wanted to love God and I was afraid that if I were to ingest these things or work with these plants, then I'd be opening myself up to demons and, um, right. you know, go to hell. And I was the fear of hell two things really stuck up stuck out in my mind from a young age and that was the infinity the concept of infinity and eternal life and also the sheer terror of hell and eternal consciousness of never-ending torment and never made sense to me um still doesn't so i go throughout my life essentially i get you know go to college uh get married um and at this time i went from like a pentecostal church to a reformed church uh uh in columbus ohio i won't say the name it's a pretty good church actually i like a lot of the people there i played worship on the worship team um and then i come around there, to have I, that I, affirmation I, you know yeah yeah definitely it, it was definitely interesting but i've always been a seeker and um i saw in pentecostalism there was always this like hyped up quality like we god's gotta always be doing something it's always emotional and i've never like emotions tire me out you know what i'm saying like i can only handle so many emotions at a time and like you can only run around the aisle so many times without catching on fire so you're like okay what am i doing here <laughs> and so i like reform theology because it just seemed more chill even though it's really not like when you think about what the implications <laughs> of it were but i was i was a seeker and you know i was really into mark driscoll and um oh with the other guys uh, piper and uh sprawl and all those dudes that i used to really nerd out about and, and it was cool because we, we could smoke cigars and drink beer so that's what we did that was like we go to the the bar and, and talk about theology and it was it was fun i liked it um, but then, uh, so I was a graphic designer. I ended up getting a job at a church and ended up being on staff at, at one of the largest uh, Southern Baptist churches in Ohio. And um, I was kind of on ministry staff. And uh, what really disillusioned me there was just hearing week after week all these stories about moral failings of, of pastors. 
um, whether they were, it was, it was usually always sexual sin or embezzling money. And week after week, and it was so disheartening for me because in my heart, like I always just, I'm like, I, I don't want to do that stuff. Like, like why, why do these no. people keep doing this? And I mean, our pastor, our ministry team was legit. They, he was, he's a great man and very faithful to his, his wife, his family, but ended up going on a mission trip to Peru. And what really got me away from well, the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back was I, I was just, I had this amazing time in Peru, and I've been smoking cannabis um, off and on since I was 18. I remember the first time I got high was at a Tom Petty concert, and then I had to drive my parents' van with my friends from Columbus all the way back to our rural town. I don't know how I made it home even to this day, <laughs> but uh, um, that was pretty much as crazy as it got um, psychedelic or you know in that space. But I went to Peru and. I just remember, like, we were trying to minister to these people, and they were, like, like it was way in this isolated mountain town called Yaquin, and they were, like, direct descendants of Incans, and mm. they are still wearing, like, colonial dress and outfit from, like, the 1500s when the conquistadors came. It's that isolated. And they kind of synergized their, like, indigenous, uh, uh, like, teachings and spirituality with Catholicism. And of course, we were like the new colonizers that were coming down and telling them, no, you got to hear by these four spiritual laws and you got to, you know, say these magic words at this special time. And, I, and it just showed me just how, how hollow it all was. And mm. I just kind of thought, like, this is, the, this is like the spiritual equivalent of going to a robust micro economy and just building a Walmart. Um, it's completely mm. spiritually destroying the culture that's there. And I got incredibly disillusioned. And this was also at the time of Trump. And so many Christians were, you know, I'm not a political person anymore, but at that time I was pretty progressive politically. And I just couldn't understand why Jesus, who seemed to be the anti-Trump, you know, was being conflated with Trump. And mm. I just, I just got so sick of it all. So that's kind of my story of deconversion and I became agnostic. Um, and from there, I don't want to ramble too much, but I got into psychedelics and, uh, that's really what initiated me to on the path, uh, the spiritual path that I continue to walk to this day. So when you were talking about my computer keeps jacking up for its, sorry, I apologize. One second. When you were talking about, um, the spiritual journey from the psychedelic experience mm-hmm. that almost would be a connection back to your original connection to nature that I hear you talking about. Like that's where you first engaged with the divine. And it seems like after that experience of like, man, I'm witnessing more colonization happen and I'm seeing that it's mm-hmm. just more, ideological stuff that we need people to verbally agree to. And then whenever you saw through that, I know earlier you had mentioned for a second, like I became like a anti evangelist, you know what I mean? And then, so was what point in time was it that you then stepped into the psychedelic space that potentially maybe connected you back to that original divine essence through nature through mm. through that like what what was that experience yeah. like of being a kind of humbled maybe uh, is that an okay way to say it like by the by the presence of of nature you know hmm. that's a great question i initially 
I the first thing I did was acid in uh, 2017. Um, I'm I just plugging this in so I can hear you. You're good. I, I, I did can it hear at you. A, uh, great. Okay, great. <laughs> I did it at a Grateful Dead uh, tribute concert with a bunch of like meth heads out in Indiana. <laughs> it was a, a terrible uh, experience. <laughs> and it was it was it was like the guy that we got the acid from was free. But he ended up getting robbed later on that night by the meth heads because he wouldn't give him more free drugs. So it was it was not good. But uh, um, that was a wild time. Uh, so I think initially I just really was kind of in like a rumspringa phase where I'm like, all right, I'm no longer Amish. I'm gonna I'm gonna smoke all I want, drink all I want, do whatever the hell I want. Like post on Facebook all the time, which is such an effective way of changing the world. Um, and like. <laughs> just like just being all in the ego like it was just me like my grievances my victimhood and also like because of the politics i was really into at the time too it's like this like activist kind of vibe and energy mm-hmm. um and so i think what really what really humbled me was like uh it was a couple of years actually 2019 is really when things started to change i i i was kind of interested so my my ancestry is um is is english and scandinavian so i was really into um norse paganism for a while actually um mm. i had an experience in lsd where i saw uh the the elder futhark runes um in the sky at least what i thought was the runes um in gold on a blue sky and i was just like really interested in that and so that's really what kind of brought me to like a nature-based religion which you know all the gods and of that pantheon are correlated to forces in nature pretty much um and then as my journey progressed, I started to really work with psilocybin, which has been hands down my favorite um, substance uh, that I've used um, because acid for me was very like hyper-masculine, like energetic. I, I alluded to this earlier, but I almost uh, died on acid because I was longboarding down a mountain in the Rocky Mountains while I was tripping without a helmet on or anything on. And then I wiped out uh, and almost hit a boulder and died. And so that was a long night on the side of a mountain um, with no medical attention. Uh, but uh, whatever, I'm still here for some reason. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm going to chill out and just, and just, just head to the psilocybin zone because it's more of like a feminine energy. And uh, yes. that's been really nourishing for me. And so I, I think what really caused me to have a really change in my heart has been a couple things. Um, it's been psilocybin. Had, I had I had a terror I had a five gram experience and it brought in a lot of chaos in my life because I made the mistake of bringing my phone in with me and calling a lot of people and saying a lot of things and I came across as a madman and there was some some definite repercussions um, in in my immediate family uh, as a result and so after that I, I took a year to really just go sober and I just really reflected on the power of my words and my actions and what I did and thought about the, the sacredness of these of these substances and ended up moving out of state somewhere else um, we got pregnant with our first child and um, then starting in 2022 um, I went on on several well, starting in 2021 and went on several psilocybin journeys um, did ayahuasca and then also did DMT, uh, vaporized DMT, um, and um, arrived at a place last year, almost exactly a year ago, where I had a five gram experience again, but this time I did not bring a phone into it. And I received, by God's grace, um, what I think is that 
that experience that I've been looking for my entire life of breaking through, of going beyond life and death and seeing what really is. And as a result of that, I've kind of found a spiritual path that I've been committed to ever since. I found a, a teacher, um, a very wise teacher who I have much love and respect for, who is who is part of a lineage, who is training me in this path, and as well as others. And um, I've just committed my life and surrendered myself to to growing in this relationship with God, who who is not what I was told God was, but was always what I intuited God was, I guess. So that's, in a nutshell, my story. <laughs> Dude, can you speak a little bit more to that in terms of, like, your, you're talking about, like, your relationship with God? And, like, for me, like, reconciling things through a very non-dual perspective, I've so struggled with the, the uh, sort of the mental gymnastics of, like, how do I pray to God or have a relationship with God if I am God and all that? And I, I've really been able to incorporate what that actually means now um, then it, almost single-handedly by undoing the idea of God in a sort of like kingly sense you know what I mean like yeah but yet still that like pantheism I think has been like the best descriptor for me but what was that process like for you in terms of like entering back into relationship and surrender and service to God and how like does God look like now to you what is that because that language was used a lot growing up for me as a charismatic kid or whatever but it's extremely the essence of it is extremely different now for me what was that like for you charismatic that's a great word for it because I feel like in my psilocybin journeys the charismatic uh, impulse and experience was absolutely there, um, and as you know, it's such such an emotional ride. It's such an artistic ride, a creative ride. Um, I, I think, but the problem with that is that it gives you a lot of information, and without a disciplined path to apply that information, it can you can lose it, and you can maybe in the case of people that we've mentioned, just kind of live in a state of permanent chaos and I feel like we're called to a state of permanent peace because that is our, our true nature is, is, is wholeness um, so I mean a lot of it I would I would attribute it to my to my teacher to my guru um, who who is just it was almost a miracle how he I was introduced to him um, and his story is actually very similar to mine and uh, he is really as as any good teacher does it was able to dispel the darkness and it lead me down conversational trails that clarify these concepts. And so one example that I, I will share with, that really helps me understand the non-dual nature of all things is, is starting with the proposition that God alone is real. Um, there is nothing else outside of God because God, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Everything, God is the fountainhead. Um, and also, that being said, there's nothing outside of our experience because I have never been outside of my experience. Is there an objective reality outside of my experience of reality? I don't know. I've never experienced it. And um, can there be? We read about different people's experience. We read about history and all these different accounts, but we read them through our experience. And so the way that my teacher really broke this down to me uh, was that the idea of a dream. When you have a dream, I think we identify ourselves as ourself in the dream. We are the main character of our dream. But um, 
when you have a dream, your mind is creating everything. You are the main character of your dream. You're you, the persona that you go through this life with. But you're also the monster that's chasing you. And you're also the, the audience of, of people that are laughing at you because you're in your underwear, you know, presenting a, an essay or something at school. And you're also the stage that you're standing upon. And you're also the sky. And you're also the history of, of the characters in your dream. You are all of those things. But yet you perceive yourself to be just one of those things in the dream. Right. And I'm convinced that, you know, reality and consciousness exists on a fractal. You can see the... The, the, the unfurling of a, of a fern is mirrored in the unspiraling of the cosmos. Um, heavens declare the glory of God. There is this, there's this like DNA that, that the, the macrocosm and the microcosm are, are infinite mirrors of one another. And so similarly, I think that this reality that we perceive to be real is also a dream. And you and I are playing roles within this dream as people on this show, podcast, talking but outside of the dream, there is just one mind creating all these different characters. And so I think for me, <laughs> bridging those two things is like realizing that fundamentalist religion is always this is true, this is not true. But I think the truth in spirituality and mysticism is this is true and this is true. And it's yes. taking those paradoxes and those opposites and it's joining them together. And so on one level, I am this character in the dream, and I play that character because that's what I'm used to. But I know that outside of the dream, I'm also something else. And so when I, when I love that higher part of myself, I'm, I'm creating this feedback loop that, that fills my cup here in the dream, but also like says what I am at my highest expression is something unimaginable, unfathomable, and so immense I'm just so grateful that I'm also that too. And I'm so grateful that I can experience this life and all the beauty of the physical world, but also have that awareness, that abiding awareness that, that there's something so much beautiful that I have always been and that when this life is over, I will return back to. And that, I don't know, man, that's just love. Dude, that is you know? so good case <laughs> in point. Like, yes, <laughs> yes. Like that, that is Thank so you. good, man. Cause like, and, and, hopefully this could be a, a good segue into this of like, you mentioned that you are, and I'm curious what tradition your, your teacher is, <laughs> is in and what the path that you're following now, but you were saying that earlier offline, like you're, you're cool with Jesus. Like you under, and you said a line, you said, I understand him better now. And I think what you just said, like that, that awareness that I've come to also that sort of, mystic non-dual truth that I think that Jesus embodied and said well actually said really well in a lot of statements but has oh. just like it just the, the ancient Near East mind the Hebrew mind the Roman mm -hmm. mind the the Greco understanding of the gods and us and it, it just was like yeah. just too much of a uh, you know apple wheel of death for them that they're like I don't know I don't I don't <laughs> Do we deify yeah. him? Is he a heretic? Like, and in from an Eastern perspective, you're just like, oh, like, of, clearly he's a fully realized being. Like, he knows who he is. Like, and embodies the power that comes along with that. And he's a master. Yes, he's an avatar. And avatars. Yes. This is what avatars do. They they fully embody, but yet they're limited to their human form. Like, this is. 
the full expression of what incarnation has the possibility to be. That's what an avatar does. Um, so anyways, now I'm on my rabbit trail here, getting excited, but uh, with you, like, I'm curious, like, how that was? Like, is that similar for you in terms of how you see Jesus now? And you mentioned, like, the church doesn't really worship Jesus, you know? Like, I don't know if you can speak a little bit to that that you're rapping about offline. So I, I think that there really are only two religions on earth. And both, um, not even religions, let's say spiritual paths. And both spiritual paths are present in every religion on earth. But there's two distinct ones. Um, there's a saying that goes that religion begins in mysticism and ends in politics. And mm -hmm. I think that is the drive. Um, there are the fundamentalism, dogmatism, dualism always leads toward political ends on earth. And it becomes more about a religion of power, of control, of coercion, and fear. And the mystic path within all religions goes back to the source, goes back to the center, goes back to the initial beam of light in which all the colors of light, when they hit the spectrum of our understanding, ref refract from and reflect and, and come back to. So to, to be upfront, the, the spiritual path I follow is the path of yoga um, within the tradition of Sanatana Dharma, which is commonly known as Hinduism. Um, I, I follow the tradition, the philosophy of Advaita Vedanta, um, which is just non-dual non -dual philosophy. And then I follow the um, Patanjali's eight-limb yogic path. And the goal of yoga is, I mean, not doing a bunch of poses um, and, and you know, whatever. I know that's kind of how it's, you know, yeah, it's union. Exactly. And so the mission of yoga is to unite everything that you think doesn't fit and make it fit. And that includes reactions that you have about things in your past. And um, so how do you reconcile? Um, Jesus says, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto myself. And it's through mentally elevating these different things and, and bringing them, uniting them together that you're able to, I think, draw people um, toward the truth in a way. And so I see Jesus as someone who took the mystical path within his religion. And um, I think what he, I mean, I know the Bible. I used to be in Bible Bowl, so I memorized the Bible, and we would do quiz bowls and stuff. I have a lot of Bible memorized, or a lot of verses memorized. I still love Keith Green and a lot of Christian music. And for a while I thought, oh, I'm doing this, so I, I can't. But what's beautiful about uh, the yogic path is that there are no wrong paths. Like everything, everything, God is bigger than than any petty decision to believe in this energy source of that deity or whatever. It's, it all melts back in the same thing. Yeah. And so that's been so freeing for me because it's allowed me to fall in love with Jesus again um, for, for who he was, who he said he was, not for what other people have been saying about him um, from, the, from the books that have selectively um, been kept in the Bible. You know, I've also been able to read the Gospel of Thomas and see how much of a non-dual thinker he actually was. And Yes, dude. I, I mean, not, not to sound like a fundamentalist myself, but I think there there's one experience, and there's there's one thing. It doesn't matter what path you take. What matters is that you get there, and I think that's the goal of every human incarnation. Ultimately, is is to is to reach samadhi, which is merging back with God, and then we have the choice of whether we want to stay there or whether we want to come back and serve other people and love other people, all the while remembering God. Mm. Dude, that's it. That's it. Like, 
the, the ultimate path is, yeah, the Samadhi. And, and I've been really digging into a lot of, I've always had a very interspiritual or, you know, world religion, comparative religion is what I would always like play it off as is like, I have an interest hobby in comparative religion. Meanwhile, like I was actually really being shaped by something differently, you know, but like, Oh, I'm still a Christian. I just, this is a fun hobby, you know? And then it's like, I started to, you know, let go of all of that and really embrace a a multi-lineage path. But, um, as I ventured into the Buddhism and more recently, earlier this year, like I was really reading a lot of Zen. And so even like reading the Lakavatara Sutra, which is like the actual sutra that, that a lot of Zen ideas based on, you know, a lot of times it's like Alan Watts is, is the goat man. But like, I want to read some of the actual sutras, you know, some of the actual, uh, lineages, you know, and what was Bodhidharma actually all about, you know? And so like reading some of that, I'm like, I thought for a little bit, I'm like, you know what? I'm just, I'm a Buddhist. Like I'm not a Christian. And so funny. It's like the minute that I thought that and the, for the few days that I considered being like, I'm this and not that I was in meditation one day and I just felt the spirit like, (laughs) <laughs> so what color shirt do you want to wear? Like, it, fine, you know, like, fine. What, like, do you think that's a big deal? Like, it, and it's it, to your point of what you're saying is, is that it's like, so what changes now, Luke, if you do that? Like, like what really fundamentally changes? And it was yet another layer, like those Russian doll things, right? Like, there's yet another layer deeper of like, Oh, it doesn't, yet again, it does not matter your affiliation and association from this level of existence. It's like, if Jesus really is your yogic path, there's nothing Mm. wrong with that. As a matter of fact, I've actually had a, a renewed, like, sense of purpose of like, man, there is so much non-duality that is right here in this own Christ path that's been hijacked. And it's like, if I could help people and it's, I understand that, that, that amount of people will likely be kind of small, but like, if I could just help some people connect some dots a little bit, that would actually serve other people more than me just being like, I'm a Buddhist now and I go to the monastery and these are my people now. And I eject myself from that. So like to your point, I'm just kind of riffing here, man. But like to your point, like it, it doesn't, there is only two spiritual paths. Okay, sure. So follow Bodhidharma as teachings. That doesn't mean that you can't also be the awareness of Yeshua uh, that had this awakening. Like it, it is, it just is. And I love like Richard Gore saying, like everything belongs, like it's right in its place. So stop trying to chop it up. There's nothing to chop up, you know? So it's like, but that's, I mean, I mean, think about the the, the, the story of the garden of Eden is the perfect example of that. Like from a metaphorical, esoterical perspective, like you have fullness, like walking with God. Like you have this awareness of creator and like, and to the point, like 
where the line of where you end and creator begins and vice versa is you don't you don't have the knowledge of that right mm-hmm. you just have this this awareness this abiding awareness of walking in that presence in that spiritual garden in that um in the in the in the void in the in Nurguna Brahman in the nothingness that's the that's the garden of eden and then we're always tempted with the choice and the choice is do I want to be God myself? Not, not, not do, I, do I want to separate from this and, and say that my, myself is more important than this, that I want to find mm-hmm. identity in this? And I don't think that's necessarily an evil thing. I think that's a natural thing because my son right now is becoming a toddler and he's separating from just being this blob that gets taken care of and fed to being a, a, a person with a lot of will and emotions. The story of the garden is the story of every single person who lives come into this world in that in that samadhi state. They leave that state because they choose their will, they choose their ego, and then the story of Jesus is becoming re, he's the new Adam. He brings us back to he's he's one of the many gurus that bring us back to that place of union with God. And Jesus never said he was God or the son of God. He says, "Who do you say that I am?" And that's that's the sign of a true teacher because the true teacher is a window to the divine it, it's it's he, it's not a, a portrait a self-portrait of look at me i am the divine they're a window to the divine who do you say that i am i am nothing i am nobody i am empty i am just uh, i am just a window i'm i'm just a way in which you can hopefully look through me and my example and see something else and, and find that within yourself as well be still and know that i am god you know yeah yeah, like, dude, he always pointed to the Father, always pointed to the all, always, always pointed beyond, never once asked. I told this to a friend the other day who's still quite Christian, but like, he's like a closet universalist. And he's like, I said, dude, Jesus never once asked you to worship him, ever. Yeah. He he said, follow him and, and share the teachings to other people. Mm-hmm and his teachings of baptism and the lifestyle that he lived. But that was nothing to do with conversion and worship and, and this obsession that we currently have today with, you know, what sentences people say it's he's, he himself says time and time again, you will know a tree by its fruit and you will understand the, the, the nature of someone, not by their affiliation, but by the essence that they carry. Like, that's this right. comes straight from the master, from the guru, and we don't even realize in the West that guru, like you, I think you mentioned, I don't know if it was offline or online, but it means dissolver of darkness, like remove, they, they help That's us right. remove and see through the, the darkness, the illusion, That's the fog, right. and it's like, yeah. that's all Jesus said that he came to do. He said, I came to show you the father. If you've seen me, you've seen the father, like I'm helping you yes. bridge this illusion of separation. That's it, mm. so he's literally the only thing that he is telling people is I'm bringing healing. I'm bringing wholeness. Essentially, sozo is salvation. It's this idea of healing, making one. The only definition of ministry that we have from Paul, if we want to even talk about him, but is the ministry of reconciliation, or yeah. to be reconciled means to be re put back into union, into oneness into wholeness mm. that's the only thing that service is ministry the service of helping people become whole that's it that's all we're here to do and we get that's sidetracked on images like always yeah. we get those apples in the garden that 
we're so interested in that pull us away from that, you know? And uh, I, yeah. I got to digress and, and begin to go offline, but I, I want to record at least your comment about, and if you could speak to about what you mentioned about modern churches, how they, they don't really worship Jesus. Um, and it was just this off the cuff comment. Yeah. And I've held on to it, so <laughs> I don't kind of put you yeah, on with sure. it, but it's stuck, dude. It's stuck. Well, first I'll say I'm the last person that should you should listen to about any church planning advice or ministry advice. I'm just <laughs> just a guy that that alone in his thoughts a lot as much as possible. But um, I, I think I would say there's that verse in the Bible that. I always think about they have a form of godliness but deny its power, and I think so. Even the word worship, I think, is a really problematic word because the word worship essentially means to ascribe worth to something, and if you're worshiping something, then you're not it. And I think the the truest understanding is you are it. Does that mean you should worship yourself? No, it doesn't. Uh, and I think that's where a lot of people get it wrong. I think it's funny, a lot of people, you know, will leave the church and they'll go to the new age. And well, the new age is just, it's the new cage. It's, it's, it's evangelicalism with crystals. You know, it's really not that much different a lot of times because, because there's no lineage and there's and a lot of, it's just a mishmash of, of things. And there's, it's a lot like, it's, it's rootless. It's a tree that is cut off from roots and therefore bearing, you know, bad fruit. Um, and I think that with the church, I think that, and, and, I, and I want to use my words wisely here because I I know that people's hearts in the right place. I think that people they just do what they're what they think is right, and they're not maliciously trying to do anything wrong. Or I think about people I know who are really deep in the in the duality narrative of like Jesus is coming back and we got to fight against the forces of darkness. And they're good people that are sincere, that are that love they love God, and they're they're genuine people. But I think I think. The God that most of this world worships um, is is fear, um, mm. because fear is a powerful motivator. And if you can keep people afraid, then you can you can get what you want from them, and you can you can keep them docile. And I think what we're starting to see with this generation, it seems to me, is that a lot of people are realizing that we don't have to live in fear. Fear is, I mean, bad things will always happen. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but I give you this peace that where I am, there you may be also. Um, if we take on the mind of Christ, Samadhi, um, if, if we yoke ourselves to the divine, then we realize mm -hmm. that there's nothing external of us that can even begin to, to diminish what's internal in us. Many waters cannot quench this love, as Song of Solomon talks about. Mm -hmm. And I think what's wrong with the church in so many ways is that they are clinging to old wine and old wineskins. And they're clinging to their 1800s, 1700s translations, 1500s translations, whatever, this moment in time in the past. And they're forgetting that, that they're, we're in the eternal now always. And the voice of God is always speaking. And that the voice of his, and that the hearts of his people are always seeking after him. And we just want to tie it to a man or a movement or a message from a certain period of time. And I think that people are just tired of that because look at the world that we live in. It's the right. grid is constantly expanding. We are we're losing biodiversity. We we hate each other. Um, we've forgotten who we are, and as a result, we think that by by 
by defining ourselves by what we're not, we can find out who we are. But by defining ourselves by what we're not, that's the first step in the right direction toward realizing who we really are. And we're not all that important, and we're not all that special. And uh, we can laugh at ourselves, and we can, we can enjoy life. And we don't have to be tied up in the market or the economy or all these different fears. Because the worst thing that can happen is death. And I've been on the other side of death, and it's an absolutely wonderful place. And you're going to be like, why was I afraid of this for so long? <laughs> yes, dude. So I, I, I guess I hope that answers the question. Dude, it answers it great. It just makes me feel like we need to do some more of these with some more pointed topics and allocate some more time, man. Because, like, this stuff's sure. really good. And, and I will, I'll just, I guess, I guess oh, it's so hard for me to wrap up, dude. There's so much more that I want to riff on this with you about, you know? Um, but I think that that's, like, what's... We have a part two. Yeah, we, we need a part two. We need a part two because there's... I feel like we're just barely scratching the surface on some of these things. And I feel like, you know, uh, I, I feel right in saying like, I, it feels good to have somebody who understands like the, just the, the understanding of the expression of who you are and, and coming from a Christian background perspective, like yourself and with me, like, like I have. And then like also the psychedelic experiences as well. And, just yeah man it's like it's camaraderie is a really beautiful thing and i think that it can happen and a lot for as an encouragement for anybody if there's anybody that's still going to church that listens to any of my shit like the the point is is that you know you can find community and like-hearted people and it just takes time and and you know, I know there's a lot of people that are still just trying to sort through it all and figure it out, and they hold on to their communities because they're scared of losing that community. But like, there's there's glimmers of hope, like me chatting with Ben right now, and um, I'm just really grateful for that, and grateful for your uh, wisdom, and appreciate you spending some time here, man. Bringing connecting dots for us all. That's 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 what it all is. I mean, I don't have any answers. I don't I don't you know I know nothing. Um, but I will leave you all in the audience with something that my mom used to say. No matter where you are in your spiritual path, what traumas you've had in the church, um, how heavy or broken your heart is, I want to share with you something my mom used to always say to me: Jesus loves you, and so do I. Mm. And I think there's great hope in that. That's beautiful, dude. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, my friend. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. This has been a lot of fun.